Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Welcome everyone to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This podcast is brought to you by our partners and sponsors, Jane App, the Smart Chiropractor, China Gel, T-Tool, ChiroUp.com, Drop Release, the Chiropractic Success Academy, Gestalt Education, Hyperice, InReach Health, including Conquer Cleaner, and our partners, World Spine Care and the Carl Research Fellows. Why are all those people, those entities, those corporations, and those uh, uh, very important organizations so interested in the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance? I think we're going to get to the heart of some of that today in our podcast with our guest, Dr. Dustin Hauser. Before we do that, I want to remind you of one of the reasons we are talking to Dr. Hauser is that he's going to be a presenter at Forward 2022 Virtual Summit. It's our annual virtual summit. We've got, I believe, over a dozen presenters, some great information. Uh, You can check it out at our website, forwardthinkingchiro.com, and you can register there. And hey, right now, if you're listening and you want a little discount code, put in the discount code BUYU, just like in Louisiana, down on the BUYU, and you'll get 10% off. Uh, people who, oh, by the way, it's free. So why are we offering a discount if it's free? The whole the whole summit is free if you just want to watch it the weekend of the event and you don't want to commit to anything and you want to uh, pull up with some coffee and your jammies and just listen to a whole weekend of great presentations. But if you want to keep the presentations, if you want to watch them later, if you want to save them to study them a little deeper, Uh, If you want the bonuses, because a lot of speakers have fantastic bonus content for you to listen to, and if you want six hours of continued education credit, you can upgrade, and that's where the discount code will come in, because of course it'd be great if you upgraded. Uh, Once again, check that out on our website, forwardthinkingchiro.com, and you can register there, put in that discount code, buy you, and upgrade yourself, and we'll see you October 8th and the 9th is the virtual summit. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's introduce our guest, Dr. Dustin Hauser. Uh, Dustin, uh, yeah, everyone's going to want to call you Doogie, right? That's how it goes. <laughs> it's been that um, way most of my life, so I'll accept it. Did they were people calling you Doogie Hauser even before you had any sort of medical credentials whatsoever? Yeah, and I kind of joke with them and tell them that I just use that as a driving incentive to go ahead and and become some type of doctor. Yeah, that's what made you right. Yeah. Where are you from? Where are you? I am in Morganton, North Carolina, and that is where I'm from. Is that how they say it? Morganton? Yep. There's no W. People get it confused with Morgantown, West Virginia a lot, but it's Morganton. Ah, see? That's awesome. Um, Where? So this is the classic question, right? Uh, For all chiropractors, where'd you go to school? Um, I went to National University of Health Sciences. Fantastic. I did three years down at the Florida campus, and then I did my year internship up at the Illinois campus. So I spent a little bit of time in both places. 
Great. And what kind of practice are you operating at this moment? What's your life like? Um, I'm currently an associate for my previous chiropractor. Um, it's just a general family practice. We just work on the people of the community here. Yeah. What population? Um, it's slightly rural area. It's developing, but there's a, a lot of state employees here. Uh, a lot of farmers and blue collar workers here. Um, just really down to earth, pretty easy to get along people. You didn't answer my question. What's the population? Oh, population as far as yeah. like size. Uh, yeah. yeah, graphic. That's a different topic. Um, I think we're around 16 or 17,000 now. Okay. There you go. So, All right. Yeah. So the reason we're having this conversation and, um, and I, I have this ethos here, I will talk to anybody. So I'm even looking at some point bringing on some sort of like straight chiropractor and not to have a debate because that would be contentious and that's not in the fair sake of fraternity and, and peer respect to, to have like some sort of argument online. Right. Um, but to have a conversation, even with stri- like, I'll have a conversation with anybody. So for the folks that are listening, I think they know that already who are dedicated listeners to the podcast, other people in other podcasts, I think they sort of feel like they need to have like tiger woods. I don't know. You know, like they need to have like somebody, they need to have somebody who's important to come on their podcast for, with something to say. I need to have people with something important to say, regardless of who, who they are, to come on the podcast to help fulfill this like FTCA mission that I have here, which is the mission's pretty simple. Uh, at some point in some people's chiropractic careers, it sucks. There are other people in their careers, it sucked as well, but they discovered something along the way that made it less sucky. And we should have a way of sharing that to lessen the suck throughout the profession, right? I agree with that. This podcast, we're specifically talking about being an employee, an associate, whatever you want to call it, just as long as you don't call it independent contractor. (laughs) We want to talk about the world of being employed in chiropractic. You cool with that? Sure. Have you had a bad experience as an employee at any point in time? Uh, yeah. Or can you discuss it without throwing anybody under the bus? <laughs> <laughs> I won't, I won't mention any names, but yeah, um, it was one of those, uh, independent contractor situations that you were just discussing there that wasn't actually an independent contractor position. So, um, yeah, been, been there, done, done that, learned that lesson and, and hope to help people avoid that going forward. And let's break that down for anyone who's not familiar with what we're talking about. So there are a lot of employment opportunities within chiropractic. You'll look at the ads and the classified ads, whatever you want to call it, and you'll see an opportunity available. And opportunities aren't huge. They're far and few between, especially if you live in a small town mm-hmm. or a rural area. And you say, you know, I'm from originally from San Luis Obispo, California, uh, 60,000 people. It's still rural for California. And in that community of 60,000 people, there's like 60 or 80 chiropractors. There's a ridiculous amount of chiropractors. So you're not going to start your own practice, basically. Good luck. Or you can try. And I've definitely seen people fall on their sword trying yeah. in my hometown. But so you might 
never see an ad for an associate, but one day you do. And it's not the best offer in the world. And the setup is not fantastic. And the terms are horrendous, but it's in your area that you want to live. So you go for it, right? <laughs> and then you realize maybe I shouldn't just pick based on the area. I need to pick the best offer for me. So one of the things that happens a lot in these scenarios is somebody will offer a position and they'll claim that it's an independent contractor position, but really all of the terms of employment are, uh, are terms of employment. <laughs> in terms of employment, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what the owner is trying to do in those scenarios, the person who's hiring is they're trying to get an employee without having to pay the payroll tax. That is simply what it is. So they will drop a contract. Sometimes an attorney will sign off and say, yeah, this looks good as an independent contractor contract, but it's not if you, there are specific rules you have to follow via the IRS on what is independent contractor and what is not. And these usually do not, but you know, chiropractors are such small fry that uh, like the IRS isn't hunting us down yet. Yet. I mean, <laughs> 87,000 new IRS agents, you can it's imagine coming. where they're coming. Yeah. <laughs> they're coming for the world of independent contractors and gig workers. So these are illegal, but they're not, um, they're not prosecuted. These also really screw over the employee who's being treated like an independent contractor because you have very little protections and you're going to pay self-employment tax, which is probably the biggest tax any type of worker, whether employee, business owner, or investor, or any type, real estate investors, uh, qualified investor of stocks and trade and commodities. The self-employment tax is the biggest one you're going to have to pay. And and these independent contractors, I'm using air quotes on this audio-only podcast. Uh, really get stuck with it really bad while these owners get to walk away without having to pay the payroll tax. Basically you pay your own, you pay your own income tax and then you pay your own payroll tax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you're in what you were in one of these. Yep. And when did you realize this was a bad idea? Could have been uh, a great place to work, right? Like it might've been an awesome place to work, but a bad scenario. Uh, yeah. I think that's what it was. I mean, we were, we were, we ended up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is a much larger city than where I am now. Um, but it was in the back room of this office that a guy came in right out of school to cover his office as he was recovering from a kidney transplant. Um, and they're like, Hey, you just want to like practice out of the back room when he comes back and we'll pay you 30% of your collections. And, uh, I didn't have anything else. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'll take that. And uh, I don't know. I was there for 18 months. I don't remember exactly when I was like, this isn't working, but I think it was probably at the end of that first year when I saw my, my, um, my tax statement, I was like, holy shit, I didn't make like anything here. So I had to tuck tail and run. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to put your feet to the fire there. Uh, Cause they're leading and ind indicating trailers in the business world. <clears throat> your tax statement telling you what money you made for the year is a, it's a good trailing indicator, right? Mm -hmm. um, but time is money and time is valuable. And when you 
when you sort of, uh, what would you, how would you put it? When you, when the most important part of a young chiropractor's career, when they're getting, is that point when they're getting started, like getting the ball rolling, mm-hmm. a rolling stone gathers no moss, like getting the momentum started when you're really young, the trailing indicator you used of a year taxes, right? Right. Was too long. Like right. you should have known you were screwed within a quarter or maybe right. six months. And then you could have acted a little faster. Not that you ended up in a bad place and hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but for those out there who are listening, I just don't want people to use a one year benchmark of income as their indicator for what move they should make next. You should have like more prescient uh um metrics for what the heck's going on in your practice and that's the problem yeah is you're being treated as an independent contractor which means you're responsible for running your own business but you're really an employee which means you're not responsible for your own business so why wouldn't you just look at your taxes at the end of the year yeah because no one ever told you like hey you're gonna have to run your own business here Right. I, I didn't, I wasn't really <clears throat> any of that information either. And, you know, obviously we didn't learn anything about tracking stats when you're in chiropractic <laughs> school, but you know, now I'm borderline obsessive compulsive about it. Like I'm always checking those things and making sure that I'm at least, you know, stacking up with where I was last year or ahead of where I was last year or, or la- even last month, you know? Um, so that the statistics have, have definitely, um, mutated into something that's very important to me. Do you think they mutated because of what you learned? You learned a lesson? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I knew it was like, like you said, I mean, yeah, I can't wait that long. I need to know where I am now. And uh, it helps you plan on where to be and how to get there, you know, next month or, you know, the next quarter or the next year. You you said the quiet part out loud, and I don't want to let it pass. Uh, you said that you don't learn any of this stuff in school. <laughs> I knew you were going to pick that. Part <laughs> um, how bad is the, uh, no, I don't want you to throw your school under the bus either. <laughs> From what you've heard and some of the stuff that you've experienced, how ill-equipped is a graduate to be first an, an independent, a true independent contractor? which means a solo practitioner pays rent, has their own equipment, does their own billing, runs their own business. We can start there. How ill-equipped are people there? Yeah. I mean, Bobby, I'm almost six years into this game and I still hesitate (laughs) feeling like I'm ready to do all of those things. Yeah. Um, Definitely not right out of school. Um, even though, you know, like I said, when I came into that practice, it was six to eight weeks, the guy was recovering from a really serious surgery. And I I was basically there, I think I had two weeks, there was a cover doc came in and actually did all the manipulation because I wasn't, I I was waiting on my license. And um, so he was there adjusting people, but I was doing like exams and x-rays and some other stuff. Um, But then like when he left, it was about a month of me just running the show. Um, now I wasn't seeing any of the stats or any of that other stuff there, but, um, you know, looking back, that was an, it was an invaluable experience. I'm, I'm glad I had it. And I think it's, it's helped me be a more, um, meaningful contributor to, you know, the practice as an associate, having that kind of experience. 
but yeah, coming out of school, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know anything about billing, coding, collections, accounts receivable. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff on that business side that you don't really figure out until you get out and just do it. And my family, they're, they're blue collar workers. They, neither one of them have a college degree. So they, they're used to going to work, collecting a paycheck and you know, that's it. So I I didn't really grow up in that environment either. So I had no, you know, familial experience to rely on that either. You know, my, my, my dad wasn't a chiropractor. I didn't take over his practice or anything like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's different for each person's circumstances, but for me, I, I didn't feel anywhere near starting my own practice out of school and, and still hesitate with that sometimes. Yeah. There's three layers to it. In my opinion, there's the, the worker layer, I'll call it the worker layer, which means the stuff you do when you show up, what an employee or an associate would do show up, treat patients, smile, brush your teeth, uh, give it, uh, your review of findings, care advice, encouragement, uh, participate in the active care, manage the patient, diagnose, all that stuff. That's mm-hmm. one layer. The second layer is what you talked about, AKA running the show, right? Mm-hmm. Which means, uh, you know, processing patients, uh, walking them to the front and the back, making sure the staff shows up, unlocking the door in the morning, right. uh, turning on the lights, making sure that the bathroom's clean, and all that stuff. And then there's this third layer, which very few people ever ascend to, especially as a AKA associate slash IC, which is that operations level stuff, which is what you like seeing the stats and then having to decide what to do about the information you have. Right. Right. You're like, Oh, this last, last month we had, or last quarter we had 52 personal injury referrals this quarter. It looks like we're getting about 12. What do I need to do with that information? Like that's the next layer that most people don't get to or get exposed to because that's that's blocked off that's the owner's job right they'll they'll, they would love for you to run the practice right from the day-to-day uh they anyone would love for you to send from just worker to running the practice but the actual uh operations level decision making stuff uh no one gets prepared for that and you know I, i went to school a long time ago now I didn't go to school in the late 1900s. I went to school (laughs) in the the early 2000s. But even back, I can still say with confidence that operations level stuff, zero in school. Would you agree that it's zero? Yeah. How do I mean, whether they say like your patient visit average and your weekly average of pay, that might be the deepest they get into operations. And then they still don't even explain what to do about it. Right. And I don't think many people have those conversations. So those three layers, I think, are the layers that are important. Um, Now let's go. So we answered this question on the point of view of an independent contractor. Like, do the schools, can the schools prepare these graduates to be independent contractors appropriately? And we're kind of doing the "Eh," on that one. Yeah. Now let's go to associate. Do the schools prepare the graduates to be good, competent associates? I think if if they would help us figure out the right 
situations to put ourselves in as an associate that most of us can probably figure it out as an associate. Um, but I mean, I, I feel like there's, there's a reason we call it practice because I'm, I'm like six years into this and I like, honestly, probably just last year, year before, you know, four or five years into it, that I really feel like I'm super duper confident with what I'm doing and, you know, the patient communication and, and managing the cases and recommending visits and all that stuff. It, it, it's, it sure. takes time. Um, so that that's, I would be less eh on that one. You know, maybe still a little bit eh on that one. Um, well, it should go this way. If we talk about those layers an associate should be amazing at layer one, which is right. Taking yeah. care of patients. Yeah. Absolutely. Doing the job. And then they should be competent and start to learn to excel on with on-the-job training in the layer two. Right. And probably not have much exposure, maybe conversational exposure, but not much active process in layer three, which is the operations. Right. Your, yeah. I, I would feel almost like you come out of school, you're almost you're almost over, not over equipped, but you're you're overly analytical when it comes to the clinical side. It's just like you're Sure. You're, you're doing, I mean, in, in clinic, I think it took us like two hours to get through a new patient, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so you're, you're coming out of school and going into practice and you're like, God, I mean, it eventually gets to the point to where I, I cannot spend that amount of time with the patient, but you learn how to, you know, trim down what's not necessary for that particular case and, you know, hone in on, on what you really think is, you know, your top DDX has come to mind, you know, more quickly, um, just after experience. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, it's I, driving I, a race car. So yeah. the first time you're in a race car, you want to make sure you hit all the right gears. You're going to slow down for the corners. You want to make sure you don't go off the track. And then once you actually start racing the car, then it's all feel. And then you're just putting the pedal to the metal. Yeah, exactly. Pedal to the metal. Yeah, pedal to the metal, pedal to the floor, and just let it rip. Um, so to continue with the layer conversation, like I said, the independent contractors... Unfortunately, this is where you're at your worst, where most people, not you, uh, in general, generally you, where people are at their worst is they have to try to be layer one, layer two, and layer three all at the same time, a true independent contractor, not a fake em employee. Um, they have to be layer one, layer two, and layer three, so they have to do the on-the-job stuff, the care, the patient care. They have to manage the office, and they have to do operations decision-making all at once. So something has to suffer. Sometimes uh, uh, sometimes the clinician is so talented, the doctor is so talented that nothing suffers, and then they tend to scale up, and that's where success is born. But the, something has to suffer there. And then on the farthest end, the clinic owner should be almost zero layer one, Mm -hmm. proficient in layer two obviously that's their bread and butter and then really in in the weeds with layer three where they're managing decision making processes and, and i had a great mentor for that uh his name dr dan murphy not that dan murphy but mm -hmm. dan murphy santa maria california uh he could do all three he's he's just a brilliant chiropractor for years but he just knew, like he had a sense and an experience. Oh, the the trends for what I'm seeing with patients, and you know how they're 
adhering to treatment plans, the results we're getting, whatever it is, how many referrals we're getting. I know based on what I see right now that in six weeks I'm going to see this. So I better start ABC now. I better start going to my networking. I better start calling my attorneys. Uh, I better start doing this, that, or the other, running a TV ad or whatever. Yeah, there, there was one mentor I had. He always mentioned that tracking stats like that, when you see something kind of trickling down the wrong direction, you know, it's time to prime the pump or you want to keep the, the pump primed. So the, all those things, like you mentioned, PI visits going down. If you want to see more PI, then when you start seeing that trickle down, then it's time to, you know, get out and start marketing to more, more um, attorneys or whatever, or going to lunches and things. And, or if, if you see that number going down, you, you remember it's like, well, yeah, I haven't gone to lunch with an attorney in how long, or um, just, that idea of keeping the the pump primed was kind of a a neat idea that I got from one of my mentors. I can't remember exactly who that was, but yeah, it's about being proactive instead of reactive. And and most most docs are reactive, quite frankly. You know, they'll they'll do what they need to do, and then they'll get the numbers up. You know, for lack of better terms, they'll get nice and busy, and then because they're busy they stopped doing the things that got them busy in the first place. Yeah. And then when the numbers go down, they go, Oh, I got to do that stuff that got me busy. And then you've yeah. got this sort of like, it looks like a tide chart. Uh, other, other people, and these, some of these are personality based issues. Other people are going to find what helps make them busy and they're just going to schedule it out and automate it and keep doing it and not change it. And that tends to be a better flow, but not everybody is suited to do that. Uh, back to employees, I had I had a mentor who did this thing for me. And this is a piece of advice I'd like to put out there. And then we're going to get into your pieces of advice and your talk in the virtual summit. I had, we're going back to this layer one, layer two, layer three idea again. I had this mentor. He was my first employer. My first, I had a job as an associate, a real associate right out of chiropractic school. And he did this thing because he he had many, many associates. And that's one piece of advice I might give to people who are listening who might want to become an associate is if you're going to work for somebody who's never had an associate before, that's already one strike. If they've never employed anybody before, you have to walk in there knowing that that's one strike already. They don't know what they're doing. They might have picked up some advice, maybe on a nice podcast like this. Maybe they took a buddy out for some beers and asked him like what, or maybe they asked on a Facebook group, well, what do I do? How do I get an associate? That's not experience. <laughs> so this, this mentor I had, this boss that I had, had associates in the past, many of them. He was very skilled at being an employer. And he, he never mentioned layer one, layer two, layer three, like I'm mentioning, like he didn't delineate like that. He basically had literally a legal pad. Eventually he moved himself up to fancy technology like Microsoft Word, <laughs> but he had a list and it was like a long list of all the things that an associate would have to do in the office at any given time or any given level, or like we're talking here, any given layer. So when you first start, it was like, can you do an exam? A first start, can you adjust? First start, do you do you wear decent clothes? Like, do you wear whatever the 
office uniform was. Do you are you presentable? Uh, first step: Are you nice to people? Do you smile in the office? Like the most basic stuff you could possibly imagine. It was on the top of the list, and then you're going on down, and then you know down further down the list, it was like the layer three stuff. Can you make marketing decisions? Can you make employee and staffing decisions on a on a daily basis based on what's in front of you? Like, can you manage this office completely on your own? Can you run an office meeting? You know, all the stuff, all the stuff you could ever imagine that would ever involve a chiropractor's day. Can you, can you do a deposition with an attorney? Can you be a legal expert? You know, all of it, all of it. Okay. He had all of them listed and there were a couple lines on the sheet and it was sort of like, you get paid to do this part. And then there's a line. Once you can check off all of those, I will pay you this much more. Once you start to do all these, every time you start checking off an ability, you go up and pay and up and pay and up and pay. So if you want to make 120,000 a year, this is how many of these boxes you need to check off. If you want to make 120,000 a year plus uh, 5% of everything that the company ever makes, and this is a multi-million dollar practice, here's all the things you need to check off. Once you can check off this whole list, we will make you a partner. How does that sound to you? I mean, that's what he said. How does that sound to you? Yeah. <laughs> but how does that sound to... Sounds pretty uh, good. Where, where do I sign? <laughs> it's very clear, It's very clear, right? Yeah, yeah. Like there's no blind, there's no blind spots there. If they wanted you to be able to do depositions, it's not an accident. You need to know how to do it. Yeah, um, I, I like that approach a lot. That's uh, I feel like that's one place where I kind of find myself, my employer and I both probably find ourselves in a little bit of a learning curve here is I, I am the first associate for my current employer, but. Well, that's uh, why you got I, quiet all of a sudden when I said it's a red flag. Really quiet. Um, no, but you know, we, we had a relationship before that. You know, like I said, this was the practice I work at now was my family's practice. I was a patient there. I shadowed after undergrad before I went to chiropractic school. He actually wrote my recommendation letter for chiropractic school. And, uh, you know, Sherman is the closest school to where I am. And I was really interested in staying close to home. And he steered me clear of that place. <laughs> so sure. um, there, there was, I think there's, there's been a little bit, there was a little bit more there for us to, to build on and grow on than anybody else coming into a stranger's office. You know, I, I think that we've, we've checked some of those boxes a little bit faster when those boxes didn't exist when I first came in the office. Um, right. Yeah. I, I like that approach a lot. That's uh, that's definitely something that I would recommend, you know, other associates look for is that that's one thing that I've, I've kind of stressed in my, my presentation is, you know, wherever you're going into, especially like if, if you're planning on being there long-term, like if you don't want to go own your own practice, or if you hope to own that practice, you've got to have that clear path to the future. Um, the, the, the owner needs to tell you exactly what they expect of you. And you need to tell them, you know, what you're willing to commit to the the position and what you eventually want to get out of it. And then you guys have to find a way like, okay, well, what's the most, what's the most economical, effective um, way for both of us to, to get you there. Um, right. Right. Exactly. So 
so most people will probably do that organically, just like you have, right? Mm-hmm. And and things will come up along the way, and then we'll say, okay, we're going to squash that issue, and we're going to move on to the next issue, and oh, we didn't realize we needed to be a little bit better at that thing, so let's get better at that thing, and so on and so forth. I'm not, I'm not going to say that's wrong, because that's how most people do it, and no one's dying. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying with time being money, it's not as efficient, right? Uh, and and most chiropractors who do practice solo and or have an associate or a couple staff members, I mean, most people are doing it organically. AKA sort of flying by the seat of their pants. They find a system that works best for them. And, and let's be honest, works for them in this profession is pretty basic. It's the patients are happy and the bills get paid. Right. Once the patients are happy and the bills get paid, like there isn't much aspiration after that for most chiropractors. Um, now, whether that hurts anyone's feelings or not, I don't know, but we have to be a little bit honest here. Like that most people just kind of once the bills get paid and the patients are happy and there's sort of like a consistency and a trend, uh, most chiropractors just fall off into obscurity. And if you're cool with that, not you, once again, generally you, mm-hmm. you're cool with that. Like I used to, I used to think we were all shooting for the stars, but we're not. Some people just want their kids to go to college and they want to fish on their boat and have a vacation now and then and retire and disappear in the sunset. Other people want to scale to the moon. <laughs> right. Um, I would just want people to be the best that they could possibly be with whatever they, they decide they want to be. First and foremost, I would like for them to decide it and not have it decided for them, which seems to be what most people's lives are like. Is like you didn't pick your destiny someone chose your destiny for you and now you get what you get you don't get upset yeah. and that's that's where most people end up so let's talk about this virtual summit what what did you title your your presentation uh i called it the six-figure associate an associate's guide to breaking through to successful employment fantastic why did you want to talk about this topic? Um, well, it's it's important to me, obviously. You know, like I said, I'm in my coming up on my sixth year practice, closing out here in a couple of weeks, and I wish I had a lot of this information when I was graduating. I think it could have helped me make some better decisions to end up in this position sooner than my third job out of school. Um, and also, you know, I, I see it discussed in our group a lot, the, the FTCA Facebook page, um, you know, how, you know, a lot of chiros kind of shun people into going into associate roles and say that you'll, you'll never make any money as an associate. And I was like, you know, that's not necessarily true. You just have to find the right situation. Right. Um, so I thought if I could, you know, point out some of the downfalls that lead us in the wrong direction, um, give some pointers to the recipes that, you know, give us success as an employee. And just, I mean, I don't want it to sound like I'm talking about myself a whole lot, but that's really all I have to go on. Um, I've got some pointers from a couple of owners that I'm going to try to plug in here, but, um, you know, just from personal experience, what's worked for me and, and hopefully what will, will work for others who just aren't ready to take that plunge into ownership yet. 
So are you saying that you are a six figure associate? Uh, yeah, as of last year, that was my, my first year. The year before that, I was pretty, pretty damn close, but I missed it by a few thousand, I think. But last year I was um, over 120. And this, so you just walked into six figures, right? Like, uh, like you know, like <laughs> you, you responded to an ad and the owner said, all right, so how much do you want to make? And you're like six figures. And he's like, deal. And I'll pay for your continuing education, full benefits, four weeks of vacation and a company car. That's how it went, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, what's the rose colored lenses we're looking through there. Um, no, oh, not, they're called, like, they're called chiropractic graduate lenses. Chiropractic graduate lenses. Yeah. Um, no, even, even after the two and a half years of experience I had going into this position and knowing, knowing the owner personally, um, it wasn't that, I mean, he had it structured to where I could get that way. Um, but I don't know, I might've made, I think I made close to 70,000, 60 or 70,000 my first year at this position. Um, but I mean, he, he structured it in a way where, you know, the, the busier I get, the more I make, which I think is important for associates to know when they come out of schools, especially if you go in straight from school into an associate position, like you're not, you're not going to make probably what you think you're worth. Um, and most of the, the, the owners are going to want you to, to put a little stake in the game and show them that you're actually invested in their practice, growing the practice. And, and like you said, you know, picking up on some of those layer two, layer three things and show them that you're actually more valuable than just an employee. And then they'll, then they'll start throwing some more benefits and some more money your way. How, how long do you think an associate should stay at a place? Granted, it's not, there, granted, it's not uh, three red flags. Granted, it's right. not a very, very bad, dangerous or horrible place to work. It's a decent place. You're just not making the money yet, but it's incentive-based pay. How long should some uh, an associate put into that practice before they walk? Because a lot of these associates will look at their first eight or 10 months or a year and be like, I didn't make that six figures. Right. So I'm out of here. I'm going to go look for somewhere else when we all know that there's a time component here? Um, well, I mean, for, for me, it came at that three-year mark. Um, last year was the end of my third year. And um, I'll tell you what, I mean, I was, I was kind of burning out, but there was a lot of other stuff going on in my life last year too that was adding to the burnout. Um, but when I finally hit that and I negotiated with my employer for a little extra time off, um, this year has been just as good as last year, if not better with me taking more time off. I feel energized and more positive about things. So I, I think that three-year mark is pretty good. I, I listened to a podcast with you and Kevin Christie not too long ago. And I, I think you guys were talking about, or Kevin mentioned that Brett Winchester has some kind of a, a program set in place that his associates are, you know, his goal is to get them to six figures within three years. So um I think that three-year mark, if you're if you're not getting to where you want to be, and obviously this this factors in where where you're living, how much does it cost to live there? I mean, there are some places where you need to start making six figures your first year. Yeah, uh, but I'm not in one of those places. You know, like I said, there's sixteen thousand, seventeen thousand people here in my hometown, and the cost of living is is relatively low. So, you know, I I could get by on sixty or seventy that first year or two, um, but then 
you know, you, you get accustomed to some nice things. You want to make a little bit more money. You want to travel and save and invest. And um, your so, spouse is like, come on, what up? Yeah. You're a big baller. They call you, they call you doctor whenever we're out at Target or whatever. I'm a big baller. Where's the money? She was very low maintenance when I met her, but she's gotten higher maintenance. The longer <laughs> it's kind of funny how that's happened, but uh, I love her though. I, I like that proposition. I think it should be rational and, and people should manage expectations when they go into contract negotiations by saying, you know, this contract is the way it is, but I would like to revisit it in 16 months, 18 months to make small tune-ups for what's working yeah. and what isn't. Can we yeah. keep that window open? So it was the race car analogy. When you're brand new in the race car and you're just trying to get it around the track and you're not even at top speed, you don't even know where the thing's going to break. You don't know where it's going to start to slide, where you're going to lose traction. There's no way to tweak it until you start getting up to speed, which you did, right? You started getting up to a speed. You started racing your car around the track and started saying, um, some of these curves aren't working for me. We got to take it back into the pit, make some tune-ups, and then let's get back out on the track. Yep. But a lot of these associates are not, not even making it one time around the track. Or they get once around the track, they're like, eh, this car is not working for me. I know a lot of young chiropractors that within a four-year time span have like four, five, or six jobs that they've already had. Yeah. And a huge amount of this uh, success in this business is just building, like sitting your butt down in one spot and building energy and momentum in that one spot. Yeah, oh, this this is the longest I've been in one place, and it's going the best for me. So I can attest to that. There we go. That's that's empirical evidence right there. That's not even anecdotal. I've got a little bit of an unfair advantage, I think, with it being my hometown. There, you know, there are some people here who who knew me, knew my family when I came back. So that definitely yeah. helps the marketing aspect. But um, yeah, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. The, the more the more time you invest into something like this, it's the the more you're going to get out of it for sure. Can you gloss over a couple of the, just kind of like what are some of the other issues you're probably most likely going to cover in your talk? Like a table of contents. Yeah, well, um, a lot of times we'll see the posts on our FTCA Facebook page and and unfortunately, sometimes we, we give these people a little bit of a hard time because we're like, God, I mean, look, we're, like you said, we're, we're kind of looking from, you know, retrospective, us who've been in practice for a while. But uh, these these associates who are or independent contractors, I'm doing your air quotes right now, Bobby. Thank you. Like I, I, I'm leaving. I'm leaving this position because, you know, they're expecting me to do something that I, I don't think is fair or answer you know, the phone because, because I'm doing the right thing. And it's just like, well, what did you what did you actually agree to when you went into this? Um, uh, are, are you doing what they expect you to do? Because if not, then they're not they're letting you go because you're not fulfilling your 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 work responsibilities, your duties as an employee. Um, so I'm just going to kind of cover that and a few of the other pitfalls that I see uh, young, you know, either new graduates or young docs are making that I think that, you know, if you, if you just knew these things kind of leaving school or going into your first employment, second employment opportunities, you, you'd kind of look out for them. Those red flags you're talking about, um, you know, going over some of the things that I think it takes to be a good successful employee um 
you know, how to start out with that layer one, but then gradually graduate into layer two, layer three, um, you know, show more value to the practice than just somebody who can adjust patients. You know, I mean, my boss, when I first started here, I, I don't remember what it was I was doing, but he got onto me about something. He was like, you know, I can teach a fucking monkey how to adjust people. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't need you here just to adjust people. It's like, I, I brought you here to do more than that. So yeah. You know, or just the, the rehab or just the rehab. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, whatever um, the mechanical ins and outs are. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, some pitfalls, recipes for success. Um, and, and then just going over some of the numbers, you know, like what, uh, what I've had previously, what I have now and, and kind of, you know, breaking down the, what kind of salary can you, can you live on? What kind of bonus structure are you looking for? And then, you know, what type of patient volume and collections per visit type of thing are, do you need to, to break through that six figure, you know, we'll kind of go over that whole mathematical equation of, you know, what, how many do you have to be seeing, how much do you have to be collecting um, in order for you to actually break that six figure mark? Wait, 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 hold on a second. So are you trying to say that an associate needs to produce (laughs) in order to get paid? Yeah. Yeah. But, but you'll be surprised. Like, honestly, um, when I started doing this presentation, I was like, Shit, I feel like I should probably be doing more than this to be making what I'm making. I mean, I I talk to people who slay, I don't slave away and they're doing like 200, 250 patients a week. And I'm like, how much are you making? And they're not making six figures. And I was like, why the hell are you doing that? Then right. like you right. don't. And that's the thing. Like, if you fall in the right place with the right employer, like you don't have to run yourself into the ground. Like you don't have to break your body down, your, your mind down to do it. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing around a hundred patients a week and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. And I'm still bringing home what I, what I feel like I need to. And obviously there's room for growth there. And I, I hope to surpass that me and my employer have, have talked about some partnership opportunities, you know, profit sharing and all the things that you would, you know, shed a little bit of light on there too. And I, I know the benchmark that I have to reach for that. So I'm currently working toward that this year or, you know, within the next year or two. And, you know, hopefully here in, here in the near future, I'll, I'll be in that next bracket where maybe I can do a, another presentation for the FTCA then and talk about, you know, graduating from associate to partner or, or owner. That's right. Yeah, I, I think the conversations, it, it just has to be an honest conversation with like people have to have real expectations, you know? And I don't blame students or graduates for having expectations that are unreal because how would they know any better? They, they don't have any, any compass for knowing any better what to expect. Uh, I have some suspicions that maybe the schools are (laughs) sort of allowing (laughs) their expectations to drift into unrealistic areas. But we have to have the honest conversation that for the vast majority of this profession, there are exceptions everywhere. I, uh, you know, say one thing and in this world, certainly someone's going to pop up and say how they are the exception. Right. For the vast majority of the people in this profession who practice, this profession is eat what you kill. And we yeah. need to tell these young 
initiates into our profession that that's what it is. Now, you do need to negotiate that you get to eat more of what you kill so that you don't get burnt out and ripped off and all that. But if you expect that you're like, like it's like a dire straight song sometimes in the, in the Facebook group. It's like, sometimes you just see a, so like graduates that just want money for nothing and chicks for free. <laughs> and it's like, you, 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 you can't just have a job. It's not, it's not the uh, County librarian where you just show up to work and you get a salary whether you processed books, put them on the shelf, or just ate your lunch right at home. You have to produce. If you don't produce, you will be fired. Yep. And no one will want to deal with you. If you don't want to produce, the world will make a place for you where you don't make any money. The, I mean, even in a institutionalized job, like say a, a VA position, you're still going to have to produce to justify your position. Yeah. Or they'll get rid of the position. It's so eat what you kill that the people who do not want to or are pr productivity adverse are going to have a real problem. And someone needs to tell them that. Now, like you said, that doesn't mean you have to see 500,000 people a week. Like the productivity can be managed 100 a week, 80 a week, whatever the thing is. You, but you still have to produce. And yes, you're a professional and people will be looking for you to produce every single week, like any other professional, like a professional athlete. Every time you step on the field, people are looking for you to produce. And right. if we just can't have this honest conversation with people, it's they're already off to a bad start. So I appreciate this talk. I appreciate the numbers you're going to go through. So I think it's going to help people visualize um, one, maybe if they're getting ripped off. <laughs> yeah. They're getting work to the bone, you know. They may need to renegotiate their value inside whatever job they might have. But to, to get a general idea of what would be expected as far as productivity. And if the number is 150 a week and you're like, I don't want to see 150 patients a week, then you need to learn the other things like such as building your value so that you can charge more so you see less people. Right. Or that you can scale either other services or now you're starting to be a layer three thinker where you start to scale like how to hire somebody so that you can do other things while they're doing that part of the job like all of these things should stimulate thought and that is the purpose of the the ftca virtual summit they're not always so we, we put in over a dozen talks because one of these talks somewhere along the way is going to appeal to somebody and it's going to hit a home run for them they might not be into all 13 talks or all 14 talks, but they might just hit that one. And for what, like $95 or something like that, if you hit one of these talks and it knocks it out of the park for you, that is worth its weight in gold. So oh, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully people register for that and hopefully they register specifically for your talk. Um, it's heartfelt. It's honest. It's from somebody who's in the trenches doing the work, having the experience. This, um, this isn't a guru type of uh, nebulous conversation this is real stuff that's going on every day uh, from someone who's not going to jerk your chain which whenever somebody hears the name dustin hauser they should automatically think this guy's not jerking my chain how's that sound how's that for a conference? i hope so yeah man i have I have nothing to benefit from this i didn't i didn't do this to make any money i just did well, i'm it sure as hell not paying you right i mean this is this is all just i mean 
it's funny. I think it was Mandy, Mandy Jennings, one of our other um, mods and ambassadors um, dropped the, the bug in my ear a while back ago. And I was like, I don't really feel like anybody's going to want to hear me listen, you know, listen to me talk about that. And uh, I don't know what it was. It was one of our FTCA meetings, our mod meetings, not too long ago, we got to talking about them. And I was like, do you think like, should I really do that? Do you feel like I, you know, would anyone want to listen to it if I did something like that? And she's like, yeah, just do it. And so I was like, all right, screw it. I'll, I'll put something together. So I don't know. It's uh, like I said, it's going to be a lot of me talking about myself, but hopefully it doesn't sound that way. Um, and hopefully there'll be some useful information in there on, you know, for some of these newer, new grads, newer docs that they can take and use and, you know, navigate this, this crazy wacky world that we call chiropractic land. Well, you're right. They don't want to hear you talk about it. They don't care. <laughs> they don't care about you. <laughs> they don't care about what you have to say about yourself. It's what's in it for them. So yeah. that's that. If you, if people get that mindset right, they can take over the world. No one gives a shit about you, Dustin Hauser. What they want, they are here to hear what you have to say for them. Well, hopefully, it's of value. Yeah. I, when I do this podcast, I have. I have no inkling of any feeling that anyone even wants to hear what I have to say whatsoever. <laughs> I, I, I am sort of the facilitator of these conversations. I do add my pieces. I mean, I've, I've gained some experience over time where I can add my own little vignettes of information, but I have no uh, preconceived notions that anyone even cares about me or what I'm saying. It's all about you guys, the guests. And it's all about what they can take from this conversation while they're driving or cleaning the house or what, you know, kids are at soccer practice or whatever. So we take the ego out of all this stuff and we just give people the best information that we possibly can. And in that way, the FTCA is sort of democratized information in the chiropractic profession. Because awesome. when I was right out of school, you would have to pay somebody a whole lot of money. They were called consultants and coaches. And you'd have to sign up for a coaching group uh, under like a multi-year contract for a lot of money every month to get the same exact information we now share on Facebook for free. Most well, yeah. Well, they would free. wear, <laughs> they would wear a suit, you know, and they would tell you over a, a phone call, all the things you were doing wrong in the suit. You know, that's why you had to pay the money was for the suit and all that stuff. But um, now you get Facebook, it's free. Uh, you got to filter out a lot of bad information, but, it's still the good information when it comes through is the same exact good information we were paying thousands of dollars a month uh, to get back in my day. So that's yeah. awesome. Can't say the FTCA never did nothing. Well, I'm happy to be a part of it, Bobby, and I appreciate the opportunity. No, we're happy to have you. You're an amazing doc and um, you know, you're being humble and modest, but the things you're doing are commendable. They're amazing. And if every, if anybody, if everybody, or at least a majority of the people out there listening can strive to be what you are and what you've done as an associate, uh, we would have, uh, we'd be in a really nice place in this profession. I appreciate that, Bobby. Instead of having to, uh, instead of, I, I got to say it, I'm going to say it, even though that would be an excellent place to end. I'm going to throw in one more little asterisk. Instead of people having to work at the joint and saying the joint is a great place to work at. Right. Can you, I mean, talk about money for nothing and chicks for free. Not that you don't have to produce there, but all that is, is layer one. Yeah. What kind of world 
how nice is that that you can get paid decently to just do the layer one job yeah i get i would get bored with layer one alone though like i i like having layer two and just the top of the iceberg of layer three yeah yeah so different strokes for different folks of course some people just want to a paycheck and they just want to do the layer one. I just feel like if people, if that's not satisfying to people layer one only, if they can follow your model and follow your leadership and the example you set, they will be very nicely set off for a great career as an associate. If they want to be an associate and prepare themselves to move on after that. Well, if I can do that for just one person, it'll be worth me putting this thing together. Sweet. Yes. I, I guarantee at least two and a half people will really respond well. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the FTCA virtual summit. It's October 8th through 9th. You can go to our website, forwardthinkingchiro.com. And we've got a little links there and you can register there. Um, and you can ask about it in the FTCA Facebook group and we'll get you linked up if you need to find the link to register. It is free. There's no cost to watch it that weekend. But if you want to keep the videos to watch later, if you want the bonus content, speakers are going to have little bonuses and gifts. Uh, if you want to participate in giveaways, like prize giveaways, and there's a six C CE credits for like pay states and states that take online CE, uh, and Missouri and Georgia and Oregon, uh, then you're going to have to upgrade. So either way, we'll love to see you there. And thank you, Dr. Hauser. I'll talk to you. We're, we're always talking, so I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me, buddy. All right. Bye.